We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Seahawks Man to Man podcast powered by The Athletic. Shout out to the company. My name is Michael Sean Dugar. Uh, you guys know where to follow me on whatever that app is that Elon Musk is running these days. At Mike Dugar is the name. M-I-K-E-D-U-G-A-R. Shout out to everybody that's watching us right now on YouTube and subscribing to our channel on YouTube. Seahawks Man to Man. That's man. The number two man is the name of our channel on YouTube. We appreciate all the love and support, whether it's on our post-game show, which is what this is, or it is on our special Standout Plays of the Week episode that is a YouTube exclusive. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Uh, Chris, go ahead. Holla at him. Yes, echoing those sentiments. We appreciate all the love and support. You can follow me on Twitter at CKIDD206, and that's CKID206. All right. As I mentioned, it's our post-game episode. The Seahawks pulled it out at home in Week 10 over the Washington Commanders 29-26 game-winning kick uh, by Jason Myers as time expired. Uh, great down-to-the-wire game, classic Seahawks stuff where, you know, every fan has a heart attack until it's triple zeros. Great, great stuff. Um, as always, we're going to do our Twitter question segment at the end. We got a ton, as we usually do, because you guys are the best. Thank you so much. Before we get into that, though, um, Chris, I I want to talk about something that was really interesting after the game today. Um Obviously, Geno Smith played really well. He led two, uh, basically led a, a go-ahead drive and then led the game-winning drive. He was nine of ten for a hundred yards. I took out the spike in that, so he's nine of ten, even though it's technically eleven passes. But nine of ten for a hundred yards, um, uh, yeah, and a touchdown to Tyler Lockett on the final two drives. Damn near perfect. It was a great game. It's a big deal because uh, Geno hadn't played well. Yeah, I, I think we can agree. He probably hadn't played well since what, week three. You know, it's, it's been, been a while. A long since time. Yeah. And that was, yeah, that was we had a long time ago. It was week 10, right? So it's been a <laughs> while since the quarterback has, has played, we would define as playing well. Um, and yeah, he was he was money uh, when it was time. He was money when it was time against the Browns, too, to be fair. But I'm, we're talking about for like a, at least an extended period of time. It had been a while since he had played up to, up to his. Up to his standard. And of course, after the game, you know, I'm talking to guys on and off the record. Um, and what was what stood out to me after the game was not just the 
sentiment of, yeah, we're confident in Gino. We love Gino. Um, you know, he can go down there, win us games. We've seen it. I mean, that was important too, because this was this was his third game winning drive of the of the year. Uh, not since he's been the starter of the year. Remember, Chris, how long it took for him to get one of those last year? I think it was like week whatever they played the Rams down there, week 13, 14. It was after like Thanksgiving. You know, now we haven't even hit Thanksgiving. He's already got three of them. But beyond that stuff, what stood out was guys almost unprompted saying that it's not just that Gino played well today. It's that we all finally did our part around him. Like I remember Jackson Smith and Jigba bringing that up, which I thought was interesting from a rookie. He was like, yeah, we're very confident in, you know, in Gino whenever we're on the field in those situations, those being clutch situations. Um, he's like, well, I'm always, we're always confident in Gino. But he was like, honestly, we just need to do better for him. We have to do better around him. He was like, today we did better. Um, and he's like, I think we still can do even better. But I asked him, I was like, oh, do you think that was the difference? He was like, yeah, that was part of it. He's like, well, us playing better around him. And Pete Carroll um, said something similar-ish. I mean, he's been saying it for a while now. But he said something similar after the game. A couple other guys had mentioned to me, it's like, yo, it's G's getting a lot of the attention, but it ain't just G. We can play better around him, and when we do that, it gets everybody involved. We go down there, and the offense looks how it's supposed to look, like it did in the second half of that game today, um, where they scored what was it nine nine at half, so they put a dub on them um, in the in the second half. It was very interesting to hear guys say that again, largely unprompted, because there's Chris, as you know, there is a gap between usually it's with Jamal, but now it feels like it's with Gino, a gap between how guys in the building feel about a player versus how fans, some media uh, feel about said player, like guys in the building love Jamal, social media fans, some local media here just don't like Jamal. Um, think he, he stinks and all this other stuff. And then the last few weeks you get, you know, the kind of Gino's washed or, you know, the, the clock doesn't struck 12 on him. They should draft a quarterback kind of crowd bench Gino. I mean, I didn't even, I, Gino, Drew Locke was trending at halftime. I didn't know, realize you had tweeted that, uh, at, at halftime, but yeah, he was trending at halftime on whatever that app is that Elon Musk is running. Now he was trending at halftime last week on Pete's weekly radio show. The host basically in a roundabout way asked, Hey, are you considering playing Drew Locke? It's not how he asked it, but that was essentially the gist of the question. And I just thought that was absurd to even broach as a topic in that setting, but it was useful because it spoke to the, the sentiment locally. It's like, it's not just Gino's the guy it's whoa, is Gino the guy, maybe Drew Locke is the guy. Um, And I thought it was very interesting to hear people today be like, yo, Gino played great. Love Gino. That's what we expect of him. We see it every day. And and we did our part today, too, as a unit, because it ain't just Gino. It's offense. It's protection. It's the receivers. It's defense. It's special teams. Jason Myers, 5 of 5 today. Shout out to him. Future special teams player of the week. But, yeah, Chris, I thought that was very – it was very interesting, very telling – um, and, and cool to hear guys kind of having their quarterbacks back um, again. They've they've actually done that throughout this kind of funk that the offense has been in. I mean, Jason Peters saying he has to be better. 
Jake Bobo admitting he did the wrong thing on the pick in Arizona. Gino admitting that, or excuse me, DK admitting he broke his route off. I guess the Bengals that led to an interception. Tyler not hearing the call and running the wrong route on the interception against the Ravens. Like guys have been kind of trying to tell us, yo, it ain't just seven that's out there messing up. Yeah, he's messed up here and there, but like they've they've all been trying to like share that burden. And then today it was just like it was almost like it was like a consensus, like, yo, let's make very clear that we all all did our part today, which is why then Gino did his part today. So, because I thought that was very, very interesting um, to hear, very cool. And this the the on-field product backed it up. When you watch mm. those two game-winning drives, essentially two game-winning drives, it wasn't just Gino. It was guys protecting him. I don't think he was pressured on any of those 10 dropbacks. That's crazy. Um, on the final two drives, every guys were open. Protection was there. Guys caught the ball. They all they ran all the right routes. What do you know? They go down there and win the game. I, it, it felt if it, it, it was it stood out when I was walking up from the press box, going back to my laptop. I was like, "Yo, it's going through all my notes." I was like, "Hmm, it was a it was a statement made here today." And that was that was cool to hear from uh, the guys that they had their back. They even mentioned like, "Yo, that's part of what Gino makes makes him great." I think this was DK saying, "Yo, the part of what Gino is great about is that he don't hear none of that." You don't hear none of that. Drew Locke, bench him, draft a quarterback. Geno stinks. You don't hear none of that. He just he knows who he is. He goes out there. He knows that we have his back. I thought that was a very notable quote from DK as well. He says he knows in this locker room, guys have his back. So um, shout out to those guys uh, for that, because that is important, because they ain't going to Drew no time soon, nor should they. And Chris, today is why. There you go. They know when they all execute, the offense looks fine. And didn't Ken Walker have some choice words? You you talked to him after the game, and he mentioned the importance of Geno. Do you remember what he said to you? I, I do, yeah. Uh, Ken, who a little behind-the-scenes little nugget about Ken, which I, I love. Ken is not a big fan of um, doing the post-game pressers up on the, you know, the, the podium or whatever, so he never really likes doing those. So if you guys notice, if you watch him on YouTube or whatever, everyone else is usually dressed when they do theirs, like they wait, they shower, they get on their phone. Ken, when he has to do it, he's like, yo, all right, we're going to do it. We're going to do it right now. Like, ain't no way I'm going to do this so I can get out of here. His, his are usually like a minute, <laughs> two minutes tops. So, like, Ken did his in his full uniform, pads and everything, um, which I, I think is funny because he just he wants to do it so fast. He goes before Pete. Usually Pete's first, then the players. Ken goes so fast, Pete hasn't even gone yet. Anyway, uh, yeah, I asked Ken, you know, how much faith do you have in Gino in, in those situations? Um, and he, he said a few things, but like the end of his quote, he said, um, in those situations, I'm glad we got Gino. You know, he said, we got a lot of faith in him. We trust him. I see it day in and day out. And in those situations, I'm glad we got Gino. And I, I love that because that that's how a lot of guys in those fields, particularly some of these young guys who for some of these young guys, this was like Gino's fifth game winning drive. Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of a lot, you know, that's that let's take someone like Ken. A clutch Gino is kind of all he knows, you know. So I love that quote from Ken. That's why we're going to use it as the title of the show. I'm glad we got Gino. Thank you for reminding me of that. Got you. And, you know, one thing I think that Gino did really well today was taking care of the football. There were no turnovers. Mm -hmm. And in the span of since week three, all the way up to this point on Sunday against the Commanders, he was turning the football over, fumbles, yep. interceptions. And today that didn't happen. And that was 
I think, the big get over the hump for Gino because he's just been lackluster with the football. Again, it's not all his fault, but on the times that there were incompletes, maybe it was intentional grounding, things of that nature, he didn't give the ball to the other team and it didn't hurt them. Intentional grounding does suck because you don't get a chance to kick the field goal and go up yeah, 12 to 9. Yeah, that, that, but... that one was on Gino. That was bad. <laughs> oh, yeah, that <laughs> was bad. But he didn't he didn't have a one that said, damn, you know, he turned it over yet again. That is something that that streak is over. He's on to back to Gino ball, a clean pocket. He can make the throw. If things don't looking good, he can make something happen. Maybe he scrambles. There are a couple of penalties here and there that push them back. But you know what they did? quick screen or quick explosive play got them back in range of getting that first down because third down is still somewhat of a concern, but the pop pat, the pop pass to, to Ty Lockett on Sunday was really cool. It was second and long and they draw. I had, we, I hadn't seen that play used to Tyler all season. And what did they do? A little pop pass to Ty Lockett. He goes for 16 yards. Now it's second and manageable. Those are things that Shane, was able to do the offense executed and Ty got a little yards after the catch. You usually don't see that with T lock. You know, that's not really his style. He catches and gets down, but you saw pretty much everything working a lot smoother in the second half. Obviously the first half, it was slow start just wasn't good. It was concerning, but in the second half, everything really clicked. Offensive line did really, did a really good job. The run game picked up. Zach Charbonnet got in there and got physical Ken Walker was able to bounce a few good runs. So all in all, I think Sherman even quote tweeted your tweet about how Gino went nine to 10 on the final drive and Sherm, I'm paraphrasing what he said, but he basically stated when everything's working right, Gino can get it done. It's really that simple. When everything is flowing right, offensive line is doing their job. The run game is working, play action passing. Gino can definitely get it done. And I think everyone, a lot of fans saw that because there were, as you mentioned, Gino was not Gino. Drew Locke was trend, trending at halftime for bits and giggles here. What if Pete's like, all right, you know what? I'm a, I, I, I check Twitter. Damn, maybe you know. Let's let's give Drew a shot. Are the Seahawks winning this game against the Commanders? I'm gonna go on record and say I'm not 100 percent confident the Seahawks do win that game. I don't know if it gets done. There were a couple of throws, a couple of times where Gino was just dotting them up. The one throw to Ty Lockett over the linebacker's head, dropped it in the bucket, just a perfect touch pass. I don't know. Who, I don't know. Maybe Drew makes it, maybe not. But in that scenario, you don't bench a guy in Geno Locke who has to figure out a way and find his groove, and he was able to do that. And if you did bench him, what message is that sending to the team? That you're giving up on your starter? Not to mention, the team is 5-3. and three. They're not 3-5. and five. If the team was 3-5, and five, and the struggles were still happening, okay, I hear you. But the fact that his teammates are saying, we got to be better, the coaching staff realizes that, yeah, Gino has his turnovers, but we as a unit have to be better. I think on this, on display on Sunday, he showed why he can be that guy. Those for 300 yards, two touchdowns, and again, no turnovers. That's what you want to see from Gino. I know they played against a... Pretty much not good Washington football team, but that's what you want to see Gino do. How many times have I said, okay, he struggles against a good defense, but against the defense and the commanders, I want to see him light him up. And I I I know he didn't play great in the first quarter, second quarter, 
but when the game mattered the most when they needed him, he comes up clutch. And we have a couple of plays, Mike, that alludes to how clutch he was. And one play, I'm going to go back. I'm sure you guys remember the game against the Cincinnati Bengals earlier in the season. It's the same route, pretty much, for Ty Lockett. I'm going to pull it up on the screen here because today, Tyler Lockett wins. Same route here. Ty Lockett, he doesn't get any separation, as you can see at the top of the screen here. Ty Lockett's at the top of your screen. He runs a... Acting as if you're going to do a fade, and it's a comeback. And Cam Britt reads it all the way and is able to knock it down. I love the play call, but it just wasn't executed. In other words, Ty Lockett didn't win his one-on-one. You go to Sunday against the Commanders. They do, do things a little different here, but it's the same play. The only difference is Geno's rolling to his right, but Ty Lockett, he wins his one-on-one. Again, Ty Lockett is at the top of your screen for our YouTube viewers. Ty Lock at the top of your screen, runs the route, sells the fade. Oh, comeback, easy, money, touchdown. Seahawks have a touchdown lead. Obviously, the defense can't hold them, but you just see how everything worked well. The pocket's good. Well, pocket's not bad. The rolling to the right. Kim Walker stays in there, makes the block. That's what you want to see. Great execution, great play. And again, Tyler Lockett wins his matchup. You have a touchdown. Seahawks take the lead there. So. That is just an example of improvement and Gino not turn the football over. And it's good to see. Yeah. And that's an example of the difference being other guys around, you the ball is in the same spot on both of those plays, the third and five that gets knocked down in the Bengals game. And then the, the go ahead touchdown today balls in the same route, same ball. One's complete. One's not because someone else is, you know, of someone else's job. It's great. Great. example. like, even on, both of DK's catches in the final drive, great illustrations of how when everyone's on it, it works. Like we're showing it on, on YouTube right now. It was third and four. He's one-on-one with Benjamin St. Juice. Um, at least I think that's how you say my brother's last name there. But You got it. He's, he's It is? Okay, cool. Um, he's one-on-one with him. He runs a slant. The protection's there. There's nobody like in Geno's face. All the guys keep their, their alignment from, from jumping up and blocking his pass down and Gino throws it on the money and they pick up a first down. They got 17 yards uh, on that one. Easy. It's the same type of throw Gino could have made any of these other weeks. Guys go win their one-on-ones. Uh, basically the play that iced the game or put Jason Myers in, in position is a 27 yarder. The same thing. Gino has time in the pocket. He doesn't have to leave. He doesn't have to throw off his back foot. There's no pressure coming in his face. Like there was a, uh, on the would-be touchdown to DK against the Ravens. And what does DK do? He gets he gets open. All his linemen, uh, all Geno's linemen win their, uh, win their reps. You know, Jason Peters anchors up after someone looks like, I can't tell who that was, but tried to tried to power rush him. Uh, he holds up, gives Geno just enough time to find his guy over the middle. Uh, just a really bad play by the rookie safety on the commanders. But whatever, that's not the point <laughs> of that, showing that clip. But these all these plays that we could do this all day. Um, we, we'll get to questions, obviously, because I know you guys want to hear um, what we think about the stuff you guys sent in. But these plays that um, we're, we're showing, we're talking about, these are not new things. These are not Gino being a different guy. It is a lot of everyone else executing around. You know, I like how I don't know if this was like the thought process, but Chris on the uh, I think the touch the play from the Bengals game that Tyler doesn't win on. I also think that Gino just throws that from the pocket, whereas 
the one you showed today, he rolls out. It shortens the throw a, a little bit, gives the, D, the DB less time to make a play on it. I don't know if that was a conscious effort by Shane Waldron. Maybe it was. I have to ask about that later in the week, but I do like that change. And if so, that's the coaching staff being better at something too. Like it's, it's all these things around. Everybody did their part today. Uh, we're going to show some Gino some love, but yeah, today was such a great illustration from DK's wins to the line protecting Gino to guys uh, catching the ball, winning, winning on their routes, no back breaking penalties on those final drives. We've seen that too, where it's a holding ineligible man downfield, chop block, whatever, all this stuff. Um, so that that's how it needs to be. Gino's not going to throw for 369 yards every you know, every game and guys aren't going to win every one-on-one in crunch time. But in general, that's how it needs to be clean around the board, but from play call to protection to routes when it's clean across the board, I think that can be the recipe for success against better teams because the commanders stink, at least on defense, but they're, they're going to play better defenses going forward. Ram, uh, I don't know if the Rams stink statistically, but they don't seem very good, but Cowboys, Niners, Eagles, you know, Steelers, these defenses are going to be, they're going to put pressure on the Seahawks and they have to deliver. The way to deliver is not just, you know, be Superman. Sometimes it's, all right, everybody else do their part and seven will do the rest. So I thought that was really, that was the key to today. And that's got to be the key going forward, particularly if the defense is going to give up 140 yards across two drives in the fourth quarter. That was bad. I'm sure we got some questions about the defense. So we'll get to that. But yeah. That was a theme of today, man. Everybody did their part, and it allowed seven, Gino, that is, to do his as well and have a clean game. Clean game it is. But, yes, we have a lot of Twitter questions. Let's not waste any more time and get to them. Again, thank you guys for taking the time to ask questions. We appreciate all the questions and all the love and support. This first one comes from the homie Shiv Ramdas. It's quite simple. Are the Seahawks good again? Love it. What up, Shiv? Um, they're kind of good. Good is relative. Um, they have a lot of good players who can make good plays on any given snap. That's true. That showed up today. Like one snap, it's Draymond getting to the quarterback. One snap, it's Leonard Williams. Spoon had three plays on the ball today and a forced fumble. Jamal had a couple good open field tackles. Tyler gets busy. Gino gets busy. Ken gets busy. DK gets busy. Like they have a lot of good players. So I'm inclined to say that they are. Um, but it it does seem like we're still waiting. I feel like we've had this issue before, Chris, watching the Seahawks. We are waiting for the offense to play good at the same time that the defense plays good. It, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's for some reason, it's just not meshing outside of perhaps just the Panthers game um, this year. It's just not meshing. Until that meshes, I'm a little iffy. I think the Seahawks are like an okay team. They're an okay team. Good I got to wait and see. I got to wait and see uh, because good. I feel like the good teams put it together on both sides, play complimentary football at least every other game. Maybe not every game, but it, you know, at least once or twice in the first half of the season, maybe back-to-back games, but we haven't seen that consistently yet. And until we do, I'm going to hold off. Access that again after the, after the Rams game next week, Shiv, and I, maybe I'll have a, a different answer for you, depending on how that game goes. This next one comes from Edmilson Vaz. What gives you more hope? The offense clicking or the defense will continue to improve and maybe match up well with the Niners? Or maybe yeah, in um, that regard, too. Yeah, actually, what are the... Hold on, I'm going to pull the division standings 
both te- both the Seahawks and the Niners are six and three, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They are. Oh wow. Yeah. Seahawks six and three. They would be the five seed right now with a trip to New Orleans, who somehow leads that division. Mm-hmm. Yuck. Um, I would love to go back to New Orleans though. Anyway, um, what gives me more hope? I don't have a ton of hope, sadly. But if I had to choose, which I do because of the question, the defense, um, I do feel I know this is a weird day to choose the defense, but generally speaking, I, when I watch the defense, I see, I don't see a lot of dysfunction. I feel like other teams are teams are making plays, but they're not like I don't watch a lot of the players like, wow, what was that guy doing? You know what I mean? Uh, on the Seahawks part, like I, I don't watch that. Like even today, the uh, 51 yard uh, touchdown by Brian Robinson Jr. in the first quarter. I'm like, OK, well, Jamal misses the sack. Um, but I don't I'm not like watching the game thinking, damn, that was a bad play call or a you know, bad execution. It was just like, ah, Jamal misses the sack, scrambles, Boye takes his eyes off Brian Robinson because now we're in scramble mode and Boye is an outside linebacker. I don't expect him to be like plastering in the scramble situation. Boom, we got 51 yards. Um, the other one, Brian Robinson was what, 48 yards, very similar situation. Raymond Jones is in coverage that time. Scramble situation. Again, I don't expect Draymond to be plastering in a scramble situation. That's just kind of not – it's not his bag. Brother's like 285 pounds. That's just not – it's not what he do. Um, so when I watch the defense, even though the other team makes plays, I'm not like seeing dysfunction, not seeing bad process. Um, I'm seeing like some, some good plays being made. I need to see the all-22 of the touchdown Bobby gave up. I don't know if the dude pushed them or, or what because that was a lot of separation. Um, even the even the game tying joint uh, from um, how do you say my name? The name last name is Brown, Diami or um, number two. Yeah, that's a, that's a great ball. That's a great catch. Like, I don't, I'm not seeing dis- dysfunction. I'm not seeing like we've seen Chris from years past where the defense is like, dog, they can't tackle, they can't run fit, they can't blown coverages, guys getting cooked, you know, Kedrick playing the ball bad, Trey Flowers getting beat, you know, whatever. We're not seeing stuff like that. I just see the other team making plays. I see good process. I see guys still playing together off of one another. Um, whereas on offense, we're not seeing the consistency in that. We are watching the offense thinking, dang, he didn't know he was going to run that way. Or, dang, man, another penalty. Or, dang, man, like, that was a bad play call by Shane. You know, you know, I don't see a lot of bad process on the defense. So I, I have some hope. I have, I would say I have more hope on that side of the ball. This next one comes from Kim Well Santana. On a scale one of one to ten, one being mediocre, five being good, and ten being great. Where do the Seahawks land on the scale and what's it going to take to rise to the next level? That's a good question. I, I got the Seahawks. I mean, Chris talked about this before we recorded. Uh I'd probably say like a five. It's tricky. Because, um, I, like I said, I think they're an okay team. Like, for example, you guys know, if you've been listening to the show for a little bit, I'm a point differential guy. Once we get into a certain amount of games into the season, we're nine games in, so point differential is pretty revealing. The Seahawks are a minus one point differential for the year. That's 16th uh, in the league. Uh, I, I believe that number is updated with Sunday Night Football. It obviously doesn't include the Monday night game. But that's that's 16th in the league, so right about average. Uh, they're the the best team with a negative point differential, obviously minus one is 
as thin as it gets. Right above them is the Bucks, and there's like right below them is the Packers, who are like three and six. So like they're an okay team. Obviously, getting beat by thirty, you know, <laughs> tweak that number a little bit. But that's who you are. You're a team that got beat by thirty. So I think the Seahawks are like an okay team. They're probably like a five. Um, the answer the back part of that question: How do you get over that? Beat the snot out of somebody. Because for the most part, the teams that you feel like are legit have done that. Um, whether it's a good team or a bad team, I don't care who it is. Just beat the snot out of somebody. I mean, that's that's honestly why I'm high. I'm probably higher um, on like a team like the Cowboys than probably most people because I've seen the Cowboys just beat the snot out of people. <laughs> you, you know, they, they they got knocked to the mat against uh, the Niners earlier in the year, but. They have several games this year where they have just blown the doors off of the other team, you know, um, blow, blew the doors off of the Jets, blew the doors off of the Giants twice, um, I think. Now, both of those teams stink, but they did what they were supposed to do. They handled business. Um, think the think the Cowboys also blew the doors off the Patriots. Like the, the Cowboys have smoked some team. And I don't think that means their world's better than everybody, but I feel like they've put it together uh, in a way that would, for example, make me feel better about them um, as a team. I think that has the same record as Seattle, but a much better point differential. I'm about to look up the Cowboys point difference right now. I bet you it's through the, ch- it's, uh, through the roof. Yeah. The Cowboys have the third best point differential. They're plus one Oh four. That's insane. Yeah. That they've been a hundred points uh, better than their opponents. And the Cowboys are uh, six and three. The Niners are six and three. They're plus one Oh nine. Like, yeah. That's that. I need the Seahawks to start beating the snot out of somebody, good or bad. I don't care who it is, because I, you, Chris, we don't really do the whole. It was the s- insert bad team when you smoke somebody. <laughs> smoking somebody is smoking somebody in the NFL, man. Anybody can lose. So, um, that's what that's what's gonna take to get over the hump. Go go beat the snot out of somebody. Do it next week. Do, do, do it down in LA. Beat the snot out of Sean McVay for the first time ever. Um, that that'll help. This next one comes from the homie who is in Germany. He said, I got to get some got to get some sleep. So I'm asking this now. So shout out to Thornton over there in Germany. Appreciate all the love, man. Why do most Seahawks games feel like this? Why can't they be good on offense and defense at the same time? <laughs> OK, I'm going to try to say that we appreciate the love in German. Oh, drum roll. Here we go. No, no, no drum roll, because now it's oh. going to make me nervous. All right, so Thorsten, we appreciate you. Shatsa Deliba. That's not, okay. Okay. Look Let at Mike speaking that, German. Yeah, oh, that's, that, that probably sounds freaking awful. Anyway, go ahead, Ann. You can, you can, you can have this one, Chris, because I just <laughs> uh, that's my contribution to this question. <laughs> this one is tough because being good on offense and defense at the same time, it it's not it doesn't always happen. And the Seahawks are great at doing that. They're great theater. I know the timeline is going crazy when it's nine to nine. Hell, we talked about Drew Locke trending offensively because they were just so inconsistent. Then the second half, the offense flips the switch and the defense has just minute mistakes that allows touchdowns. I just think it comes down to the fact that it's very hard to have a complete game on both sides. And when you do it, usually you blow a team out. As Mike was mentioning earlier with point differential and how the Cowboys have blown teams out, I think you get that every now and then. And the Seahawks eventually just have to do that. Now, when they do it, Thorsten, 
to be honest, I predicted this would be the game that they blow the doors off of a team this season. And unfortunately, they didn't get it done. The Rams, another tough one. Could they? Sure, but it's a division game. The Rams always play the Seahawks tough and vice versa. So it's just really hard to have a complete game on both offense and defense and do a really great job. So I just, I think it's just really hard in the NFL to do. And it's very rare that a team does it consistently. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Don't look at me. That's all I got, man. I, I spoke German on that question. <laughs> Appreciate all the love. Uh, I probably botched that. So crazy. <laughs> this next one comes from Mookie Alexander. Are the Jamal? What up? Are the Jamal Adams blitzes losing steam? Yeah, um, Jamal certainly has just whiffed on some very easy sacks this year. Um, whiffed on Daniel Jones in Week Four whiffed uh today on sam howell who's like the most sacked quarterback in the league you got to make those um plays you got to make those um jamal doesn't make any excuses for him or anything so you know credit to him accountability all that stuff that stuff doesn't matter but yeah that's 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 pretty rough i will say though um jamal i i don't think the efficiency of the blitzes has taken that much of a dip as although the raw production has for instance i looked it up earlier before we Started recording. Jamal still has like a pressure rate of about 29%. I think a little over 29, smidge over it. For reference, Spoon's at like 33. And they've rushed the passer. Spoon's at like 18 snaps rushing the passer. Jamal's at like 17. And Spoon has three quarterback hits. Jamal has one. I use them because they essentially play the same position in that regard. They're both playing like nickel blitzer guy. Um, I like that. Nickel blitzer guy. That's a cool. They should call it that. Um, anyway. And Spoon, it feels like, has been far more impactful, um, whereas Spoon has three quarterback hits and two sacks. However, one of Spoon's sacks and one of his quarterback hits is like on a trick play where he actually sacks Paris Campbell, who's a receiver. That was in week four. So if we're talking about actually getting to the quarterback, someone like Spoon has 
in a, in a, in essence, one sack. Um, I know he had the one on Josh Dobbs that was negated, but he has one sack and two quarterback hits, um, which is not all that different from Jamal, who really should have two legit sacks, you know. Um, so I do think the the raw the, the raw number needs to be there. I think Jamal um, needs to make those plays. I don't think it's quote unquote losing steam because I do think it's still something that got the other team has to account for, which still has value. It's very similar to having like someone like DK draw bracket coverage to open up one on ones for his teammates. Like that has value whether DK gets the ball or not. Same thing with Jamal. When thirty three creeps to the line, the center has to be like yo yo yo, somebody block thirty three. And if the communication is not there, Jordan Brooks comes free and sacks the quarterback, right? Like that stuff still still matters um, in that regard. So I do think the raw numbers not being there, that does stink. I do think that probably changes in the second half of the season because Jamal's still getting pressure at a good rate for the at, for the amount that he blitzes. And and maybe we can use this, do this on our standout plays maybe later in the week or something. Not this week, but at some point. I think Clint is doing a really good job getting guys free rushes at the quarterback. Like Boye's had a few – um, Jordan Brooks has had a few. Jamal's had a few. Spoon's had a few. Um, Trey Brown, like, well, Trey's wasn't super clean, but either way, like, he's getting guys. So I do trust Clint in that regard to, to scheme him up. I mean, he schemed Jamal free to the quarterback today. <laughs> Just missed. So um, I don't think the blitz is quote unquote are losing steam. I don't know how to quantify losing steam anyway. Um, obviously, the numbers aren't there. You guys don't need me to tell you that, that he hasn't actually sacked the quarterback but i do think the effect is still is still good guys remember we're two weeks removed from a jamal blitz saving the day it's, it's a jamal blitz in a pbu that gets julian love the interception against cleveland that leads to the game-winning drive like it's not like jamal blitzing has no effect again he's pressuring the quarterback at same same rate as someone like spoon who's um whose impact has felt a lot bigger rushing the quarterback so yeah i think i think jamal's fine you just gotta make the play man he was too free uh, on that but it, this is all setting up Chris for him to like have a big one in a big stage like to sack Purdy or something on Thanksgiving or Dak on on Thursday Night Football that's all this is shaping up to um because you just know it's coming he's too good at blitzing the quarterback to eventually not get one for not to get multiple honestly I think he'll get multiple at some point this next one comes from Chris Leeper I'm worried about the defense they've struggled against any team with a competent slash quarterback with a cute with a scheme any hope for them to improve? Yeah, yeah, I, I do. I still, I still think the process is pretty sound. Um, yeah, I, I still think it's pretty sound. They're still getting to the quarterback, which is always good. When you're affecting the quarterback, good things are bound to happen when you do that. Like they were affecting Sam today. He was fortunate today um, with two. I'm not going to call them fluky plays to Brian Robinson because fluky is the wrong word. However, I do think they are not plays you are likely to. It's not like another team can say, wow, that worked. Let's do exactly that. You know what I mean? That's not going to. Who's the next opponent? The Rams. The Rams are not about to watch this film and say, let's have Matthew Stafford roll out and hope that the, the backer abandons his guy, flip it to him and get 50 yards. Like that's just not, it's not a beater that I think they can scheme up. Whereas in the Ravens game last week, I know the commanders watched some of that and were like, we can, we can put in X, Y, and Z to try to get these guys. You know, uh, one of those Sam's quarterback run where he fumbles is probably a good example of a design that they probably borrowed from Baltimore. So th that's why I'm not too worried um, about them going forward. Cause like I mentioned earlier, I still think the process is good. Um, 
you're probably not going to see Draymond Jones dropping in the coverage too, too often. Like, I don't know what type of guy Draymond is in that regard, but he probably needs to go up to Clint, you know, on Monday, be like, yo, big dog, love you. Don't have me do that again. <laughs> like, that's just not, this is not it. Like, don't have me do that again. Um, and Clint should be like, you're right. Tap yourself on the chest and be like, we ain't going to do that again. Um, so I, I think that's, I mean, I, Brian Robinson today had 119 yards receiving. And neither none of those, I think like five of those come on a screenplay. So I do think that when you have those kind of off script fluky plays, again, I use the word fluky. Sorry about that. But you guys get the point. So, yeah, that that's that's why I'm not like overly um, concerned. And I know you're like, well, Mike, they also got cooked by the Ravens. I do think part of that was, uh, particularly in the run game, that was them like trying to punch the ball out instead of tackling, just abandoning all their fundamentals. And you see that immediately change today. I think the two running backs for the commanders combined for 51 yards on 12 carries. Well, there you go. Like they, they immediately came back to who they are stopping the run. So uh, I'm not too concerned. I think the process is still good. When I dive into the film, that'll probably confirm that. But yeah, I think the process is still fine for, I'm not like Chris, I'm not where you're at leaper. That is not you kid, Chris. I'm not as concerned as you are about the defense. This next one is a follow-up and it's from Zach Nixon identity do you think the seahawks established one against the commanders yeah i thought they were i liked their commitment to the to the run game um i thought the play calls like they got they got both their guys in spots um i thought both their guys in spots that's kind of vague i thought they got ken and zach in some good runs that they could feel comfortable with i loved the blocking today i thought today was not even like super schemey in the run game at least watching it live it felt more like just guys just bucking up there was like i want to say i forget which drive it was i believe it was in the second half where every run just went behind damian lewis whether it was to the left or they pulled damian to the right it was like hey ken hey zach follow number 68 and you will prosper and it just worked out um i thought that was uh, they've done those runs before but today it just really clicked and you could tell i mean it wasn't just damian leading those blocks one of them Chris, you saw on the TV copy, I I briefly looked up and saw it. It was, I think it's a Zach Charbonnet run. There is just a huge lane for him to run through. I think Colby's on one side, D Lou's on the other. I think Will Disley is in there as well. And they just the whole thing just parts. That's the that's that's identity right there. And I think Zach and Ken today combined for 25 carries, um, which is that's that's a good number, I think. I think if you want to hit that number every week. That that's pretty uh, solid. They had a good yards per carry today too. I think it was like four and some and some change. It was decent, not outstanding, but pretty good. Um, so yeah, I thought today was like really solid. I thought both teams actually, when they needed to, they ran the ball. The Commanders had that drive late in the fourth where they were just like, we're about to just hand it to Gibson and Robinson, and it worked all the way up and down the field. Like they found their identity a little later. There's just more throwing, but yeah, I think today was a start. It doesn't mean they just right back to who they are. But t- today was a start. They're going to look at this film and be like, yep, giving it to nine, giving it to 26, that eventually leads to everyone else getting involved too. The tight ends, not so much, but I mean, when you got Tyler, DK, and JSN, someone's going to have to sacrifice, and that's the tight ends, unfortunately. But yeah, I do think this was a great step in the right direction of finding that identity again. And just independent of the identity thing, just being more consistent with the runs. They ran for like 119 yards against the Browns. But it was on 13 carries and then had 13 again against the Ravens, I think. That's not enough. I think this is a better number 
um, for them to aspire to uh, get to it each week. 25 should be like the loose goal, whether that's 12 for one guy, 13 for the other, however it's broken down. I think this is this is where they uh, want to be in terms of balancing the run game with getting all their playmakers involved in the pass game as well. This next one comes from David Reese. Hawks seem to commit crucial penalties that hurt them at crucial times. Is that a function of coaching? Um, I don't think so. I think some of it, uh, particularly on defense, I know they didn't have any illegal hands to the face penalties today. I do think some of it is, uh, as Pete Carroll has mentioned um, in some of his press conferences, that that particular foul is a point of emphasis across the league. So you're seeing a bit more of them. I don't have the hard numbers on the league numbers, but it does feel like they're getting a lot of those. They didn't have any today, but I feel like that question is kind of spawned in part from some of those uh, guys getting called for holding. Um, I'd have to look back at all of the holding calls today. I do feel like when I looked at some of the holding calls in the past, uh, a lot of them were guys breaking contain like Gino scrambles out and his lineman realizes it too late. Doesn't let go. That's happened a few times. That happens on some of Ken Walker's runs, which is why it's, it's good for him to stay with the blocking scheme. Because if you bounce that outside, and your guy is expecting you to go in, now he's holding. And it's not even – it's not his fault. Now it's yours for bouncing it outside. Um, but, no, I, I don't think so. I don't think, like, they're a super undisciplined team. I think in, you're always going to get some some flags. It's just impossible to avoid those. Um, but generally speaking, yes, when your team is penalized a bunch, your court, your coach is not doing his job. But I don't, I don't see a lot of, like, super undisciplined – uh, play particularly today. I thought today was probably one of their cleaner games penalty wise. I don't have the penalty number in front of me of what like it compares to the rest of the weeks, but in general, I thought today was a lot cleaner, particularly in crunch time. Cause we've seen a lot of games where that drive, those game winning drives do not happen because there was an eligible guy downfield or offensive pass interference or DK does something. There was none of that today. I thought that is, that stood out more than like, any other penalties. There's the fact that in crunch time, nobody, nobody beat themselves. That's like, that was really key today too. On top of all the other stuff we've already talked about. This one, this next one comes from AJ Vargs. The game Sunday against the commanders and the defense this season just hasn't been it on tackling. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I think that I, I feel like that question is coming again from, the Ravens game kind of skewing things because they tie that's probably about as bad as you're going to see a Seahawk team tackle as the, the Ravens game. That was just awful. That was terrible. And it was everybody. It was linemen. It was DBs, it was linebackers. It was just completely awful. Um, I, I think that was an outlier today. It felt like it was a little bit closer to who they are. Uh, there was some missed tackles today, but nothing that I like thought was super egregious. Um, I do think, I do think today felt a lot more normal. I don't have the tackle number in front of me, um, but today definitely felt more normal than the Ravens game because they miss tackles every week. I think I've mentioned this on the show. When I'm up there in the press box and I'm writing the game, I I keep I chart every play and I put an MT with a line under it when somebody misses a tackle. Today I did not have I don't again I don't have my hard number in front of me, but today I did not have a, a, a ton more MTs than usual. I, think I had Spoon missing one. I think I had JB miss Brooks. I had Brooks missing one. Jamal. Uh, I had Jamal one. missing one, um, which is that's not any more or less than every other week. Somebody misses one every week. It's the NFL. Guys get paid to make 
people miss. All right. That's just kind of how it goes. Um, so, yeah, I think today there was some misses, but off the field, like the first watch of the game live and a couple rewatches of some key drives, it really doesn't feel like today was a one where Pete Carroll on Monday is going to be like, yo, we're back to the fundamentals. This, I don't think so. The Ravens game, yes. Today, not as much. This next one comes from Tony K. Boye Mafe turning out to be a stud. Mike, what has he said to you this season about his transition to the second year that has made things slow down? That's a great question. Um, I've talked to Boye about this a little bit, and I wrote a feature on him uh, last week, as I promised you guys I would. Hopefully you guys are working on uh, your end of the bargain and finding Boye a nickname. Remember, that's our job as a Seahawks man-to-man family is to find Boye Mafe a nickname. I don't have anything. Um, kind of, I don't know how good I am at nicknames. I'm very hit and miss, but you guys keep working on it. Uh, there was a really bad one on the broadcast last week. We ain't gonna go with that. I forget who said that one, but it was it was awful. Um, anyway, uh, boy has mentioned a few things. I'll try to keep this short, but what he has kind of first thing he's mentioned, generally speaking, is the same thing that all second year guys mentioned is the difference between coming into the NFL when you spent all offseason training for the combine versus coming into the NFL when you spent all offseason training like for your job because combine training is so different than all the stuff you do for a regular offseason as a veteran player like when you're a veteran player you like hang out with your family for a little bit you go get your private trainer and you do like conditioning then you do like position drills for whatever position you have obviously um, and you kind of just do that all offseason. You watch film of yourself from the previous season. You watch other guys at your position, and then you rep that stuff. When you do combine training, you're like practicing your starts, you know, like you're trying to get your form right for this 40. You're practicing for the bench. You're practicing for the three cone. All of this stuff you're never going to do. I mean, obviously, you're going to run and, and be strong in the game, but you know what I mean? It's like practicing for the Olympics versus actually practicing your sport. So all first year or all second year guys, cite that as something very important. The other thing they cite, which Boye has mentioned, is being able to watch themselves. That That's huge for everybody, but Boye has cited that as well. Just being able to pop on the 2022 tape and just watch himself. Watch what he did good. Watch what he did wrong. He did that this offseason. That was helpful. He was able to watch himself with uh, Coach B.T. Jordan, who's their pass rush specialist. Um, he was able to watch himself with Clint Hurt. Um, they were able to, another thing Boye has cited, is watch other guys who have similar games, uh, like play styles. I remember BT was telling me this uh, this week that this offseason with Boye, they watched a lot of Carl Lawson from the Jets. They watched a lot of Frank Clark. They watched a lot of Brian Burns, which is somebody that BT works with as well. Those guys have their similar stylistically to Boye. So they were like, hey, here's let's watch these guys, see how they win see where we can incorporate how they win with what you do and then build a pass rush plan, which gets into another thing Boye mentioned. Last year, he's kind of just rushing the pass. Chicken head cut off, all this stuff. Now he has a plan. Here's how I'm going to set up this tackle. Here's how I'm going to win this way. Then I can win this way. When I start winning this way, they're going to set up for that. Now I got a counter for that. Boom. It's uh, it's all, all of that stuff really just comes to the behind the scenes, putting work in. When guys say something generic as he put the work in, that's what it looked like for Boy. And finally, the other thing is the game was really slowed down for Boye. Because with rookies, they don't have a database usually to pull from. They can't be like, oh, last time I saw this formation with this personnel grouping in this situation, I got this. I got a screen or I got a pulling guard or I got a play action. 
They don't have that. Everything they're experiencing is usually for the first time. So it's hard to play fast as like you usually do in college because you, you don't have the database to pull from. That's what makes what Devin Witherspoon is doing out of this world because <laughs> he's already doing that. And this is, you know, he's what, nine games in or something. Uh, so, but Spoon is rare, which is why he was a top five pick. Everyone else is just like doing stuff. They're just like playing and then learning, you know what I'm saying? Whereas now Boye is one of those guys who's like, oh, I know when te- when this team does this in this situation and I'm here, this is what's happening. Uh, and he has a database to pull from now, which is huge. So I think all of those things, I said I would make it short. I lied. Um, all of those <laughs> things contribute to why Boye is playing so well. It's not just the talent. I think it's all that stuff that I mentioned. That's why he's on Chris seven weeks in a row with a sack. That is bonkers. It's probably one of the more impressive streaks I've seen from the Seahawks in my like seven years covering the team. This next one comes from Paul Martin. Jamal Adams and Quandre Diggs will either be back next season. Would they take a pay cut to stay with the team? Uh, No to the pay cut. Highly doubt that. Um, I definitely believe that they'll be on the team because what happened when the Seahawks restructured both of their contracts this offseason uh, essentially made them very hard to get rid of in 2024 um, because, yeah, you can get rid of them, but you don't save any money doing that because they pushed all the uh, money. Basically, they pushed their cap hits into future years to save money on this year's cap, which makes them like, yeah, you can dump Quandre, um, but you don't save anything by doing it. So you just basically lose a good player that you need to replace. Um, without much room to re- replace him. So then they did the same with Jamal. I can look up their, uh, their cap hits real quick, but also okay. I'm not really going to reject, totally reject the premise of the question, but I do think Quandre is playing fine. Um, he's, he has, he's not getting a ton of chances to make plays on the ball. Um, teams are kind of avoiding him. Receivers aren't really going off that often against the Seahawks. Really? If you guys notice, you're also not seeing a ton of seams uh, and posts coming Quandre's way. Yeah, they, they get a little cap savings uh, by cutting Quandre, but they're eating a good dead money here. Looks like, oh man, yeah, it's like 10, 10 mil in dead money, which is kind of a lot. Uh, on a safety, you can do like a post-June 1 cut. But, I mean, we'll get into some of that in the offseason. But the short answer is I believe they'll both be on the team next year. Yeah, and then Jamal next – yeah, see, Jamal's dead money hit is $20 million next year with the cap savings of only $6 mil. So Jamal's going to be on the team. I believe Quandre will, too, barring something catastrophic. Um, I also think they're both playing well uh, right now. I think both of them are impacting the game. Quandre's stuff is kind of showing up on film more than it is in the broadcast copy, which makes sense. But, yeah, I, I do think both of them will be uh, on the team next year. This next one comes from Jeff Rocket, Jeff E. Rocket, excuse me. Is there any hope for the offensive line? Yeah, and I think, uh, Chris, you, we're not really a fan of rotating linemen. Um, we're not really a fan of rotating anybody. I'm not, bro, I don't like them rotating Trey and Devin. It's like, bro, just stick with one of them. I get that you have personnel groupings, but for the cornerback specifically, just leave that alone. But I digress. Continue, Mike. Now, I'm, I'm with you on that. It's... It is tricky because their best personnel grouping is probably Trey Brown, Reek, Spoon at Nickel, uh, Quandre and Jamal. 
that's fine as a fine lineup. But I, I also understand putting Jamal at nickel sometimes because it, it, it works. He can he's close to the line of scrimmage. He can affect the game. Um, I also understand wanting to get reps for Spoon or yeah for Spoon on the outside when the matchup presents itself because Spoon's really good, you know, uh, as an outside corner. So I, I get it. I get why Clint's doing it. But the the, the upfront thing, I'm not like a not a huge huge fan of. Uh, but yeah, actually, I do think there's hope. Um, today was really good in the clutch. I don't think, at least according to True Media, I'm pretty sure they don't have any pressures listed for Geno Smith uh, on the final two drives. That should say it all right there. When it was time, they were able to hold up. Now, I understand that the commanders don't really have any pass rushers left, but still, they still did their job uh, as they were supposed to. So um, I think that's pretty encouraging. Next week will be a better test. Access again next week. Because uh, I do think there is hope, especially if Abe Lucas comes back this week. Abe comes back this week, then that rotation thing between Stone and, and JP stops, and you just get your intended five. Just give me three straight games of Charles, Delu, Evan, Phil, and Abe. Let's just give me three straight of those, and I feel like we get a better picture of what the offense could be. So, um, yeah, I actually do have hope in part because they played well. Largely most of the day, uh, I think Gino had, what, 48 dropbacks, one sack, you know, um, and Abe coming back. Those two things make me feel, you know, okay about the O-line. I do think there's hope there. Is it odd that Zach Charbonnet hasn't scored a touchdown yet? And this one's from Eric, Eric Wall. No, that's not odd. That's not odd at all. He doesn't touch the ball a lot. Uh, He also plays with Ken Walker, who is like – Really, really good. Uh, I don't know how many carries Zach has this year. It can't be many, um, but no, I don't. I don't. I don't think it's odd. I mean, the Seahawks in general had a stretch there where they didn't score a lot of touchdowns as a team. <laughs> Shoot, how many touchdowns does DK have? What two? Yeah, One? he's. It's not. He doesn't have a lot. Yeah, it, it can't be many. Uh, let me see how many touchdowns DK has. DK has two touchdowns. That's it. Scored against the Giants, and he scored in week one against the Rams. It's two touchdowns in, what, eight games because he missed one? Mm. You know, it's not – I'm not too uh, worried about it. It's rookie. You know, he's a rookie, essentially backup running back. I don't expect a backup running back to score a ton. Uh, so, no, I'm not I'm not worried. I'm more – I'm far more encouraged by how Zach looks when he runs the ball. With the exception of him just choosing violence over getting out of bounds in the in the final drive, he looks stupendous when he runs the ball. That's I think that's more important than and he can pass block because you guys see he's just taking those reps from DJ Dallas. Um, Zach, how he looks when he's on the field, way more important than when he gets in the end zone. I feel like whoever asked that has Zach in fantasy. I think that was a fantasy uh, influence question, which is okay. I understand. This next one comes from Michael Gart. Our trail, excuse me, is Gino back? He came up huge in the fourth. Will that be the version of Gino we see going forward? Um, if everyone else does their part, I do think Gino's capable of that. Um, he is he's shown it. Uh, I, I would like to see it now. I know I'm not like a super opponent adjusted person, but I would like to see it in one of these primetime joints against a really good team. That's where I would like to see it. I feel like we all can agree that I specifically do it against the Niners. <laughs> yeah. Really. That's really, I mean, obviously the Cowboys, the Eagles, any of the other games would be great too, right? But 
not just Gino, by the way. I'm talking about everybody. Execute against the Niners. Because the Niners, ladies and gentlemen, are real. You want to talk about who's back? The Niners are back. Healthy <laughs> 49ers, they, they they are good. They are locked in. They are ready. Road, home, does not matter. Um, so I do think you this version of Gino, this will answer the question before we move on. This version of Gino we saw against the commanders with the supporting cast doing his part. This version is much closer to the Gino I feel like we're going to see the rest of the year than the Gino we saw in the games against the AFC North. Because, guys, I don't know how much you guys are paying attention to the AFC North. Every team in that division plays different ball. That is man ball over there. It feels very similar to, like, when a team in the ACC or the Pac-12 goes and plays a team in the Big Ten in, like, a bowl game. And you see what happens when you got to, like, some decent four-star linemen going up against some farm boys from the Big Ten. That's that's the difference between some of these other divisions and the AFC North. The AFC North is playing. We're going to look back and see that the AFC North messed up a bunch of teams' offensive numbers because Cleveland's real, Baltimore's real, the Steelers have T.J. Watt. Like, we're just going to see. That's It's going to bear out by the end of the year. I'm very confident, particularly – the AFC North's numbers versus some of these NFC teams who aren't used to playing those guys and had to go. I mean, look what happened to Detroit when they went and go play the Ravens. <laughs> Same like the thing Seahawks. happened to the Seahawks. <laughs> Got their butt, boots smoked because that's just, you know, the Cardinals didn't score against the Browns, I don't think. You know what I mean? Like these other, the, the Niners went and got the business taken to them by the Bengals, right? Like every, it, this is not just the Seahawks. These AFC North teams are playing a different brand of ball over there. And I think the NFC team just ain't built that way, which is why, we're getting some of these numbers. So, yeah, I think this version of Geno is going to be much closer to who we see going forward. This next one comes from Cade Ashby. Miscommunication between quarterback, receivers, running backs this season. Is this typical? Or maybe I just haven't noticed it. Could this be maybe the fact that there's a bunch of young guys out there? Shane's offense. What's the issue? That's a great question. Who asked this? This is from Cade. Cade? Great question, Kate, because I'm with you on that. I do think it, it, there's definitely more miscommunications this year than last year. At least it feels that way. I don't have like a full way to quantify miscommunications. But yeah, between like the botch snap between Gino and Olu, the interception that Gino threw to Tyler last week, um, some of these passes that have gone to JSN that have either been intercepted or nearly intercepted, the Bobo interception in Ari against Arizona, it does feel like there's a lot more of those. Um, th this question today from Kate um, is probably spawned from Noah Fant just stopping on his route, which I, my guess would be, I didn't ask Noah after the game, but my guess would be that Noah was supposed to keep running. Um, and yeah, it does feel like there's been a little bit of that. I do think if I had to guess what, if there's any theme, which I don't think there is, but if I had to guess for the sake of answering the question, that it is due to some of the youth. Because you see, as I just rattled some of those off, there was a rookie involved in almost all of those. Uh, Gino or DK Bacon is right off against the Bengals. That would be a different one. Uh, but yeah, Olu, rookie, even Tyler's, uh, the miscommunication and Gino thinks Tyler's going to run a go against the Ravens last week. Jake is Jake Bobo, who lined up next to him, is supposed to tell him the signal. So that involves a rookie as well. JSN has been off with Gino a few times. Jake and Bo uh, Gino and Jake were uh, not on the same page in the interception against the Cardinals. So yeah, I think. If I had to pinpoint something, I would say youth is probably it. And DK and Tyler haven't been practicing 
that much this year because they've been dealing with things, hamstring, hip, ribs, whatever. That probably plays a small role as well. But if I had to guess, I would say the youth is probably playing the biggest role in why we're seeing some of these. I know that doesn't explain what happened with Noah today, but I think <laughs> if, if there was a pie chart, the youth would be the biggest slice of that pie to explain that. Could be a couple of things with Noah. A, he didn't think the ball was coming to him. B, he wanted to sit in the zone. And if it was a man, then he just read the coverage wrong. So that could be it. Or it could be none of those things. So this next one comes from Bob. When Russell Wilson used to win close games, as the Seahawks did on Sunday against the Commanders, felt good. When the Seahawks do it now, it feels gross. Why is that? I'm not going to lie to you, Bob. That might be a you problem, man. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. Because that win felt great. It felt great to watch. That was fun. That was a fun game. It came down to the to the wire. As soon as the Seahawks didn't get a touchdown when they were up 16-12 to 12, and they had to settle for a field goal, I was like, oh, this game about to be fun. This game is about to be fun. I was going to text Chris that, but I was, I, guys, I felt really sick today. You know, that's why I'm wearing sunglasses um, on the show because the light would make me throw up. I almost threw up three times today. But, yeah, I was going to text Chris like, this game's about to be lit uh, because I just knew. I knew it was going to be one of them Seahawks games. This was fun. This felt great. Seahawks pulled it out late. Wasn't anything fluky. They didn't win on like a missed field goal by the other team. It's great. Yeah, Bob. <laughs> I think you gotta I think you gotta do some soul searching there. Cause if you didn't have fun there, I don't I don't know. You must have had money on the Seahawks to cover. Oof. This next one comes from Chris Hamilton. Why has this Seahawks team been much better at getting yards after catch than previous team? Is it scheme, personnel? What gives? Chris, we know the answer to this, don't we? He's wearing number eleven. He's wearing number 11 Jackson Smith and Jigba We saw a lot of it I think the first screen To Jackson was successful Good blocking First down, that's what you want to see I mean, hell, they ran a screen to Will Disley on Sunday Which I know Mike was like Yeah See Mike, this is why you don't give up on screens Because eventually When you execute it perfectly It gets done, it got done So I think that there's probably a few reasons, but I really think it's, I'm just going to give all the credit to Jackson. Even if he doesn't deserve it, this is the yeah. official Seahawks man-to-man stamp for Jackson Smith and Jigba. You have converted uh, me, at least, to a believer in the Seahawks screen game only when they throw it to Jackson, pretty much. I know the Disley one worked today, but I really feel like he's it, it's him. It, it's just him. He's been really good at it. I asked him about it after the game. I don't remember his answer. I, had, I didn't transcribe it because I was busy damn near throwing up, but I, I just think it's it's him. And we kind of figured that, Chris, this offseason. We talked about it. We were like, they're going to be better in yards up to catch. They're going to be better in the screen game because they drafted Jackson Smith and Jigba. What do you know? They're better in both. Today, they average, I believe, 8.2 yards after catch per reception. By far, their best of the season yeah. and probably the best of the last, like, five years. Just a great day for Yak. I know that Ken's big catch folks that number a little bit. But even without Ken's catch, it's still, like, high 6.7 or something like that yards after catch per reception. So I think I'm going to give all the credit to number 11, man. He is, he has said, I mean, he won the game on a screen not too late, a couple weeks ago. Like that dude is just, he just, he's just different with the, uh, with the screen game. You know how sometimes you can see in a movie where a character like runs the the main character changes his life because he runs into somebody where it's like, he gets goes to jail and 
converts to a new religion or talks to somebody and they convert them and change their life around. That's what JSN has done for the Seahawks screen game. He is the guy who has changed their life around. So all credit due to JSN. So I don't know if you remember this name, Mike. I screwed it up. I thought it was Honey Boy because it was H-W-Y-N Boy. So I thought it was Honey Boy. It's not Honey Boy. It's Hawaiian Boy. Oh. Yeah. So I'm glad, you know, he was like, correction there. Gotcha. He wants to know, speaking of JSN, what happened? They were doing a great job of getting the ball in the first quarter. Then he vanished. Did they stop playing man or is there another reason? No, I, I think that's just where the ball happened to go. I'd have to watch the all 22, but I really I, I can't stress this enough. And I feel like, Chris, we've talked about this after several shows now. Everybody can get the ball all the time. There's only one ball. And some people are going to have to make sacrifices. I think today it was the tight ends. Um, sometimes that's going to be Jackson. You just have five catches. I mean, DK had, what, 10 targets or something like that. And Tyler had like 12 or something like this is. This is kind of what it's going to have to be some games where in the I mean, look at it in the crunch time. Who was getting the ball? DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, like in a vacuum. No one will complain about that. Oh, you mean the Seahawks needed to go win the game? And they threw the ball a bunch to Tyler and DK. You'd be like, well, yeah, duh. Like <laughs> that, that, that sounds great. You know, uh, if you if you ask me, yeah, Tyler had 10 targets. DK had 12. You know, that's 22 targets between the two of them. They should honestly get that every week. And then Jackson had five. He should probably get five every week. That's 27 targets between the three of them. Ain't that ain't going to be that many dropbacks. So um, I don't think anything schematically um, happened. I think sometimes they just draw plays for DK. Sometimes they draw plays for Tyler. Tyler got wide open on a few that, that really helped out. They also yeah. play more snaps than Jackson. So there's a ton of things that contribute. Um, and then sometimes I'm sure when we see the film that there'll be a play that was clearly drawn up for Jackson and then they covered it. That happens. Um, but I think today's distribution, honestly, is about how it should go every week. DK leads the team in targets, double figures. Kyle's right there with him, double figures. And then Jackson's right there behind that. I feel like that should probably be the distribution to some extent every week. And I guarantee you, I almost guarantee you every time that's the case, they'll probably win the game. As long as there's, as long as there's not like a ton of turnovers. This next one comes from Evan. So remember, Mike, earlier we talked about or the question was regarding the offensive line rotating. Well, actually, it was defense, and then we kind of talked about the offense rotating offensive linemen. So this one basically asks, in the rotation of offensive linemen, Jason Peters specifically, could that negatively impact Stone Forsyth's confidence in the long run? Uh, no, I, I don't think so. Um, I, I don't know Stone super well, um, so I'd have to really talk to him to figure out where his confidence is in that regard. But it's Jason Peters. Like it, it's just it's like being in a backfield rotation with like Adrian Peterson or something. You know what I mean? Like hmm. you just kind of know why they're playing the other guy, too. You know, and it's not like they're benching Stone. Stone's the starter. Like, you know, for what that's worth, they probably end up playing around the same number of snaps. But no, I, I don't think that would shake it. I mean, it, it's it's Jason. Pe it's Jason Peters, man. Like that's he's what it looks like. The fact that he can still do this at that age. And his voice meaning what it does in the locker room. From the little I know about Stone as a person, uh, I doubt that would shake the confidence. If anything, it helps because then you get to learn from a dude like that. Um, yeah. 
So I, that would be my guess. Again, I don't talk to Stone a ton. You know, backup tackle, big locker room. I'm busy. But yeah, I, I highly doubt it. Just because it's Jason Peters. If there was some scrub off the street, then maybe. But because it's that dude, yeah, man, he Stone know it. Stone know what time it is. He seems like a smart enough guy to recognize that. This next one comes from Abraham Newelt. Do you think at any point this season, Charbonnet will replace K-9 as the lead back? Nope. No, I do not. Ken is that dude. Um, and they love Ken. Love how he runs. Love how he makes people miss. Love what he can do in the open field. Ken had a 64-yard touchdown today on a check down. No. I think what we will see going forward, this feels like another fantasy question, by the way. As someone who has Ken Walker in the league, um, I really hope that they don't. Stop giving him the ball. But no, I think that Ken will be the lead guy unless he's hurt. And I don't see any reason why that should not be the case. Ken is, he is about as explosive as it gets at the running back position. So, and I just talked to Chad Morton, the running backs coach, actually this week, not about that in particular, but he made it pretty clear. Like Ken's the starter. He's going to be the starter and they're going to try to get Zach the ball too. But yeah, I don't, I don't see Zach leapfrogging Ken. Man, it's been a long time since I read this name. Mr. Collins, Stephen Collins. He even admits it's been a long time since he's asked a question, but the season feels like an extend, extended evaluation of Geno. What do you think he has to do to make Seattle opt in and forget about a rookie quarterback for next season? I just checked my fantasy league, too. I won in that league. Um, I do think with Geno... Um, yeah, this is an extended evaluation of him. That's an evaluation of him. That's a correct assessment. He has to keep delivering when it's time. It's really that simple. I mean, keep. it's not that simple, but protect the football. No, the answer is right very simple. You're right. Yeah, make make the right reads and deliver when it's time. Pete Carroll, for what it's – as much as he'll, like, evaluate the entire game of the quarterback every <laughs> week, because, duh, if Geno stink it up for – 58 minutes, 57 minutes and 59 seconds. And he is lights out for that final two and they win the game. Gino is going to get seven more contract extensions because th there's that much value on closing time. Like, mm. remember, this is the coach who's like, can you win the game in the, you know, I'm not going to do the whole speech, but that he's that guy. And he does value that. Think of how happy Pete was after the Browns game. Gino didn't play well and he was good for like a minute and a half. And, you would think that Pete wanted to rename one of his kids Eugene, right? Like that's that's how happy he was um, after the game because that's how much he values being able to function and operate and play winning football. That was his words. Gino played winning football. Um, so as long as Gino plays winning football, he's got a home in uh, the Seattle Seahawks organization. And to be fair, he should because Gino from in the third, one through three quarters is probably going to be fine, but the late game situation stuff is what makes you a franchise guy. And if he, this is what nine games, he's had three game winning drives. I mean, this is, that's, that's about the percentage that you want. What is he what Chris three and what three and one in game winning situations. Just, he has three successes and then what failed against the Bengals. I think that's it. Yeah. Yeah. So you're three and one in that regard. As long as that number stays above 500, Gino's staying in Seattle. This next one comes from the homie Ryan Turner. What up, Ryan? Halfway through the season, who deserves Pro Bowl consideration? And do the Seahawks have any 
Pro Bowl, All Pro, excuse me, possibilities on the roster? Yeah, uh, this is a good question. Me and Chris were talking about this beforehand. Um, if you guys notice, I did a second half prediction story that ran last week on the Athletic. And if you notice in that, I don't make any predictions about anybody making the Pro Bowl because I went and looked at the numbers. I don't think anybody has like a strong shot. I think me and Chris have kind of concluded there's a couple guys who have a possibility, but we don't really feel strong about anybody. Um, I think what we say, Chris Boye. Boye has a strong Kevin. shot. Uh, yep, yeah, Spoon. I would say Bobby or JB. They're both making a lot of tackles, making some splash plays as linebackers. That helps. Um, after I mean, that, that's, though, that's <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, pretty, pretty much it. Um, I think Boye, he, he could feel like a lock if you don't look around the rest of the NFC, but they only let three outside linebackers in. Last year, it was uh, Zadarius Smith, Hassan Reddick, and Michael Parsons. Zadarius now plays for the Browns, so he's not in that equation, but then you got Daniil Hunter, who I think still leads the league in sacks, maybe. Even if he doesn't, between Micah, Reddick, and Daniil Hunter, those are probably going to be your three from the NFC, uh, which deservingly so. Those guys are balling. Micah's unblockable. So is Hassan Reddick. Um, so is Daniil Hunter. <laughs> and so is Blaine Mafia, apparently, but it can only be a few guys. So what you might see is Boye get voted in as an alternate, and then if maybe if the Eagles go back to the Super Bowl, Boye gets in the game. Spoon, I think, has a good shot. He makes a lot of plays on the ball. I think Spoon's like fourth in PBUs in the league, not among rookies, the league. Uh, so that's – and he's got an interception, touchdown – Force fumble, a couple sacks. Like he's he's gonna have the numbers, I think, to be in the conversation. There's a lot of good corners in the NFC, so uh, we'll we'll see uh, on that one. So, and I think yeah, Bobby or Bobby or Jordan is probably gonna be in that in that mix. I would say the the NFC has good linebackers, but it's not like a loaded spot as much as it is like loaded at pass rusher. So yeah, that's that's probably about it though, Chris. I don't think anybody on offense has a chance. Nope, uh, and. Yeah, nobody up front. No, t- definitely no tight ends. Um, I feel like we said another guy in pre-production. Oh, DJ Dallas has a returner. That's right. That's what you said. His, re- yeah. his return numbers are kind of good. Um, yeah, his actually they're very good actually. So that would probably be it though. Um, so I, this team might have uh, maybe Jason Myers too. So actually Michael Dixon. So yeah, no one basically just no one on offense. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we're looking at it. Yeah, so those are probably be the guys that are in consideration. That could change, but that's probably what I would predict is some special teams guys and maybe Spoon. That will probably be it. All right. This last one comes from Big Pete. How do you think the offensive line will handle this upcoming D-line when it comes to taking on the Rams? Yeah, I'm curious about that. Um, I, I think that... I had to do we haven't done over and under in a while Chris I think I'm gonna do an over under of two and a half sacks against the Rams next week and take the under I think I like the under on that I think and I think one of those two is gonna be on Geno and then only one of them will be on the O-line that's what that that would be my my guess on how that's gonna go because I do think they're playing okay that's what made the Baltimore game so crazy um, but like this version, this, this is the healthiest they've been. I do think they'll be, uh, okay. Particularly if they get Abe back, Abe being back would be so, so huge. Um, this group, I feel like is their best group 
which is what, again, why the Baltimore game was so disappointing. Some of the other iterations of the O-line, I can see why they didn't play well when you had Jake in there and then you had Phil playing on a bad wheel and like Anthony Brathworth still trying to figure things out. Um, this version right here, Charles, Delu, Evan, Phil, and then hopefully Abe, that's their best five. I could see them holding their own pretty well with Aaron Donald probably getting one because Aaron Donald is not of this world. Well, I think your betting is a good your betting line is a great bet at two and a half. If I'm not mistaken, their first game against the Rams, they only had two sacks. So Oh really? Yeah. So based on that, I don't know how much Sean McVay blitzed in that game, but I don't imagine it'd be a lot because you have Aaron Donald and you're gonna try to keep as many guys covered. That's JSN, DK, Ty. You want to make sure they're not getting loose. So I don't think he's going to send much pressure. So, yeah, I would take the under as well, especially if Abe yeah. is back. And I just looked, Chris. You're right. They had two sacks in that game, and they yep. both came in the fourth quarter after Charles and Abe had already gotten hurt. Well, there you so, go. So that's And yeah. I didn't know that before I set that line, too. So, yeah, I feel good about that. Yeah, that makes sense. So I would assume that the Rams – can you look up to see how many times how how much how many times they blitzed against the Seahawks that first game by any chance real quick before we get out of here? My I got locked out of True Media, so I actually oh, can't. Right, this no I could, but it would take it would take a while. No worries, but I would I don't think they blitzed a lot the first game. Just going off of trying to run the game through my head, which was wow ten weeks ago. But I just don't see McVay going crazy and trying to blitz Geno. I think he's going to be comfortable with sending four, especially with Donald, who's going to attract two. You just need one of your guys to get enough pressure, and maybe Gino makes a few mistakes here and there. But, yeah, that's a good line, two and a half. I, too, would take the under. And, yeah, man, that's been another long episode of Seahawks Man and Man. We want to thank you guys for taking the time to listen, watch, however you entertain, however you enjoyed this episode. But, Mike, what you got? I do have the number. So I've, oh, I've, I, look at that. My, I had it in a Google Doc. Uh, they oh, blitzed twenty percent of the time. Uh, okay, that's in in week one, but they got pressure on forty four percent of Geno's dropbacks, which is a very high number. So yes, they were able to get home without blitzing, and I imagine that's... they do the same. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they're gonna be blitzing much. So that it'll be a fun one. It's always a good divisional battle between the Rams and Seahawks. So <laughs> there's not gonna be any surprises for me. The Rams could sweep the Seahawks this season. That's just Sean McVay. He just, <laughs> something about Sean. <laughs> maybe that's going to be, if the Seahawks lose that game, maybe that'll be the, the title. Something about Sean. <laughs> it might be but, a little worse if they lose again, but yeah. No, I hear you. But other than that, we will come back to you guys again, either late Friday, if not Saturday morning with standout plays of the week. Hopefully, actually, no, hopefully the Seahawks, you know, there's going to be a lot of positivity. There won't be, Damn, we're just going to look at a bunch of third downs for the entire series, so the entire show. But, Mike, is there anything you want to add before we get out of here? Thank you for the love and support that you guys show every week, asking questions, tuning in, stopping us on the street, DMing us. Um, I ran into somebody today at the beer garden who was like, yo, we watched. I watched the show. Shout out to you. I can't remember your name, my man, but we, we, we cheers. Um, like 10 a.m. this morning, the beer garden across the street. Uh, from the stadium so thank you guys for all that love and, and support every week we thank you thank you thank you so much and like chris said we will catch you guys later this week peace you see i don't have to drive me
chains and I ain't feeling the chains. I treated you right. Everything was a gift from a time to your bag and a color on your lip. Yeah, you For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.